right. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? There's some people here. Yeah, all right. You're all in masks. I can't see if you're smiling or mad at me or what. You're smiling? Okay. Oh, hey. Um, well, so my name is Mike. I'm one of the leaders here at Ocean City Church. Um, and it's been a while since I've been up here. Um, and you may not have known, but the Berries actually went to Texas for two months. Right? You thought we were just in our house. No, we were in Texas the whole time. Um, no, so we were over there for work, um, and they had like a lake, you know, there was like a little bit of sand, um, it was okay, but we're back now, okay, and, uh, that lake sand, that's not beach sand at all, okay, so we're not moving to Texas anytime soon, don't worry, we're here to stay, um, okay, so, and we're in a new series this week, how exciting, so we have been in our reverb series, such a cool image, you know, reverberating the gospel with our lives, Derek and Dave did a great job, um, but now we're in Romans, and we are actually back in Romans, so if you were with us last summer, we started, but Romans is too good and too long, we couldn't finish it, so we got through chapters 1 through 8, and so we're kind of picking that up again today and for the next several weeks. I don't know how long it'll last. We'll see. Um, so, so before I get into the message today, I wanted to kind of do a quick recap of Romans because it's been a while and, it's, and it's, it's a pretty good book. So let's just go through real quick recap. So Romans 1, we exchanged the truth about God for a lie and we worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. We are hopelessly trapped in sin. Bad news. Romans 1, thanks. Romans 2, God's judgment is just. Everyone is guilty. The Jews, who are God's chosen people, the Gentiles, who is pretty much everyone else, everyone's guilty. We cannot save ourselves. We can't obey the law perfectly. Romans 3, finally, the good news hits. Verse 23 in Romans 3, the great exchange, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. That's good news right there, right? <sighs> okay, it's going to be a long day. <laughs> Romans 4, God's covenant with Abraham is now applicable to all of those who have faith in Christ. And this is a big deal. The Israelites, they were God's chosen people, special. And now God's saying, okay, all of those same promises and all of the same love that was shown to them, that is now includes all of these people that are all Jesus people now. Way cool. Romans 4. Romans 5. Adam, through Adam, we had spiritual death and sin and the fall. And then Jesus flips that on its head and we get spiritual life through Jesus. He didn't come to make bad people good, as Derek often says. He came to make dead people alive. That is such good news. And then also, Romans 5, they talk about baptism as this wonderful picture of that, going from death to life spiritually in baptism. Romans 6 <clears throat> talks about freedom. We are now free. We are free from bondage, from the slavery of sin. We are united with Christ, and now we are finally able to walk with him and actually walk away from sin, which we weren't able to do before. Romans 7. Romans 7 reviews the purpose of the law, the law, the rules in the Old and New Testament. It's there so that it, it highlights and actually magnifies our need for God. It shows us all of the ways that we're super screwed up and need Jesus a lot. Romans 7. And then finally, Romans 8. Some have said Romans 8 is perhaps 
the greatest book, in, or that Romans is the greatest book in the Bible, that Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in the greatest book, and I would say verses 1 to 2 might be the greatest verses and the greatest chapter in the greatest book in the Bible. And so we're going to read them together. Here we go. I screwed this up last service, so I'm going to make sure I do it right. Okay, let's all read this together, okay? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Woo! Yeah. Okay, it's going to be long, I'm telling you. If you're not with me, it's going to, okay, just kidding. That's such, that's such good news. No condemnation. It's like the opposite of what everyone's used to church being. Right? But actually in the Bible it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, we are actually going to stay in Romans 8. It's so good, we can't leave yet. Um, so that's what our message is today. Derek's going to get into Romans 9 next week. But today our text is Romans 8, 14 through 17. And I'm going to get it up on the screen here and we'll read it. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So, only three verses. You're going to make your lunch plans. It's going to be great. Not that long. Um, so we're going to explore three questions today. First question is, what does it mean to be adopted by God? Like, what? He's the, he's the creator. We're adopted. What does that even mean? Second question, why do we struggle with adoption? And then last, how do we overcome so what does it mean to be adopted by God? Why do we struggle with that adoption? And then how do we overcome that struggle? So first, what does it mean? Uh, there's lots of analogies here. Um, but in the Berry House, we have three little girls, ages six, four, and two. It's crazy town every day in our house. It's great. We love it. Uh, that also means that as soon as Disney Plus came out, we signed up immediately, right, so that they could get a little bit less crazy and just stare at a screen. We're terrible parents, don't worry. Um, and, uh, and I grew up kind of in, in Disney's zone. Like all the great movies were coming out. The Disney Channel was a thing when I was kind of like growing up, so it was really great. And not only do the kids watch the Pixar and like the classic movies, but you also scroll through like the Disney vault and you see things like Johnny Tsunami and like Smart House from like Disney Channel movies. And you're like, wow, this was awesome. We came up across one that I was like, I told my wife Jody, I was like, we got to watch this one. And that great film, I think film is the appropriate word for this movie. It's a film called Princess Diaries, circa 2001. Anne Hathaway, Julie Andrews. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, I'll explain it. So, you got ugly, boring Mia Thermopolis, played by Anne Hathaway. She discovers that all of a sudden that she is the princess of Genovia, a made-up country, I assume in Europe, I don't know. Um, and her grandma is Julie Andrews, and she realizes that she is now heir to the throne. So she's going to be the queen of Genovia soon. 
Uh, and her whole life is turned around, and it's just a wonderful feel-good movie. Rotten Tomatoes gave this 48% on the tomato meter, so I, don't, I disagree. It was great. I recommend it. Um, but how much do we love stories like this, like the secret royalty? It's like every girl's dream, right? Um, you know, you get an immediate status change. You hit the lottery. You're all of a sudden, like, amazingly rich. Like, your life is, like, turned upside down in an instant. We love to see how that plays out. We eat it up. It is a great flick. I recommend watching it this afternoon. I think it's supposed to rain, so perfect. Um, so with our passage today being about adoption and becoming an heir, all I could think about was this movie, which was terrible because that was not particularly helpful. Um, but, but really, there's so many you know, images out there in the Bible that talk about our relationship with God. You know, so there's so much imagery because God, it's so complex and we're not that smart. And so he had to kind of explain it all these different ways for us to kind of get it, right? And you've heard these. We are the sheep. He is our shepherd, he is the vine, we are the branches, he is our king, we are his citizens. Um, but today, our passage discusses how he is our father and we are his children, which is very different than all of those other ones. Now, theologically, there are a bunch of things that happen when we come to saving faith in Jesus. You know, Romans 1 through 7 went through a lot of that. Um, you know, we're born again spiritually like we talked about. We go from spiritual death to new spiritual life in Jesus. We are justified. We're given right legal standing before God. And now in adoption, uh, if you're taking notes, what does it mean to be adopted by God? It means God makes us a member of his family. Well, that's very clear. There you go. Moving on. No, we got to unpack that. What does that even mean? We are brought into the family. We now belong with God, which is a crazy thing. And especially now, I feel like we're kind of feeling like, God, we need, we need to belong a little bit, right? All this COVID stuff, we're all separated. And you realize, oh, I need, I need my people. Like, I need to belong, right? Um, so I, if you're like me, I, I'm never going to do another Zoom call. They're the worst now. But do you remember, like, the first Zoom call? You know, it's been weeks, and you haven't, like, seen your best friends, and then it's like, bloop, and you're like, oh, my God, there you are. How are you doing? Um, now we're over it. It's the worst, but that first one was really good. It, it scratched that, like, belong itch. Like, these are my people. Like, I'm with them, right? And that's what God's bringing us into in adoption. Um, and, and, and adopted into the family, brought into the family, is a deep, deep belonging, much deeper than other types of belongings. Like you could belong to a bowling league or a Facebook group. That's not very deep. Um, you could belong to um, uh, a country club or even a close group of friends. That's deep, but it's not like family deep. Like family's like deep, intimate. You can't get rid of them. Like you're, you're in it. They're there. You are in the family. So it's very different <clears throat> than just being, you know, a sheep and a shepherd type relationship. Like this adoption, this, this son or daughter and father, this child and father is, is a totally different dynamic that's worth exploring here. And there, there is no way around it, creator of the universe, okay, and I'm like with him, okay, that's amazing. I can't even really explain it, but it's amazing, right? And especially when you think about where we were, 
before. So in Ephesians 2, it talks about that we were children of wrath, right? So now it's saying we're children of God, but before you were children of wrath, that's a 180, a little bit better than uh, Mia Thermopolis, I think. That's pretty good. Um, it also, where we were, you know, we were, we were rebels. We were running away from God. We were worshiping and serving created things rather than the creator, like it says in Romans 1. That is what we all were. Now, as I was preparing for the talk, I came across this guy, Edward Cruck. I think that's how you pronounce his name. He's a PhD in social work and has studied the role of fathers in our society. And so he says this, Dr. Ed, he says, given the fact that these and other social problems, and he defines those elsewhere, just general societal problems like crime and drug abuse and anxiety, depression, suicide, social problems, he says, these problems correlate more strongly with fatherlessness than with any other factor, surpassing race, social class, and poverty, father absence may well be the most critical social issue of our time. Amen, Ed. Dr. Ed, bringing the noise. And, and when we get into the world of fathers, it, it's, it, it is tricky ground, because I know, you know there are some people in here that had great fathers, that loved them well, though imperfectly, pointed them to God, and then there are other, uh, others of us that where you know, our fathers were not that great. Maybe did more harm than good, you know? Like, there could have been uh, abuse, verbal, physical. I mean, like, fathers can do some damage. And I understand that there's, there's some scars there, for sure, that are deep. But when Dr. Ed says it's the most critical issue of our time, yes, and has always been our most critical issue. He didn't know he was talking about God, but Dr. Ed was talking about God. And we've got a perfect father, and that is where our hope is, despite where you came from with your earthly father. Our perfect father, he understands us. He takes care of our needs. He gives us good gifts. He disciplines us. As in, he cares enough to correct us when we're going off the rails. Thank you, Jesus. We went from imperfect fathers or fatherless to God, the creator of the universe, being our father. I mean, just, just mind-blowing to kind of think about that. And not only that, we've been adopted. Yes, God's our father. It even gets better than that, if you can imagine, right? So not only where we brought into God's family with adoption, uh, we were also brought in as sons. And I say sons specifically, and the Bible says sons specifically for a reason. So when the text uses the word sonship, like it does in verse 15 that we read, um, the, the Greek behind that really means the full rights of sons. They kind of smash it all together into sonship. So the full rights of sons. Now, to be a son during this time was a big deal. You know, they had the, the rule of primogeniture, so the inheritance of the father would pass, you know, a double portion would go to the oldest son, and then the rest would be split up from the other sons. Um, the daughters were kind of out of luck. Although I read somewhere that, like, dowries were a thing, and that's they, so they got a little, I don't know how that works. But anyways, being a son was a big deal. You, were, you had inheritance, uh, you, were, you were an heir, and this word sonship, you know, it's, it's a 
legal type term. Uh, and now before you kind of get upset with this, especially when you think about how, you know, even God's covenant through Abraham passed through sons, you know, some, you may be kind of, your, your feminist feathers might be like, well, what? It's like, is God like this misogynist person that I keep hearing about that people accuse him of? And, and no, we really have to look at what Paul is saying here. So what he's saying is all are adopted and get sonship. All are getting full rights of sons. Male, female, you get the status of sons. It's not like you're shirking your femaleness and now you're a son, but you get the status of the son, um, which was a big deal. No one is left out. And this, this is revolutionary for the time. It was countercultural. As, as backwards as some people might think that that might sound, it was actually, it's actually countercultural when it was written, if you read it right. So, in this, uh, there's a parallel passage to our passage in Galatians, and I want to read a couple verses from there. So it says in Galatians 3, 28 through 29, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you all, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So we are all sons. So we have this amazing adoption. We get sonship. We get full rights of sons. And believe it or not, it gets better. Right? Did you catch at the end? It talks about heirs according to the promise. In our passage in Romans, it says we're uh, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So like there's like this like royalty level, which is amazing. Jesus spoke so much of, of the kingdom of God and our adoption is bringing us into the fold as full rights of sons, as heirs to the kingdom, right? So we've got a little bit of Mia Thermopolis going on here with God. Pretty sweet. So one thing that I came across as I was preparing, um, there was this thing called Roman Imperial Adoption. And I'm going to read you a little bit of this. Whoever wrote this is a total nerd. There's too many big words, but I'll try to translate a little bit. So it says, Adoption as practiced by Roman emperors ensured the perpetuation of the dynasty, <laughs> convinced his biological offspring offered poor options for his replacement, as in their scumbags or dum-dums, uh, if that helps. The emperor would choose an adult son outside his immediate offspring as successor to the throne. So, if you're having trouble following me, think of the movie Gladiator, right? This is exactly what happened. So Marcus Aurelius looks at Joaquin Phoenix, and he's like, no way, you're a train wreck. I'm going to go with Maximus, who's way better, proven himself in battle. Um, he's going to be the heir to the empire. And so it says, the emperor chose this successor son based upon his demonstrated excellence, marked character, and proven dependability. Adopted by the emperor, this already proven adult son inherited the entire kingdom and was appointed to rule over it. So we, very similarly, were outside of the family, just like this successor son. And we, as well, have a proven record. Only here's the thing. It's not our record, because if it was, it'd be a mess, and I would never get picked. But instead, it's Jesus' record. Like it teaches us in the rest of Romans, Jesus was the one that demonstrated excellence, had marked character, had proven dependability. He lived perfectly, and we get that record. 
amazing. So that brings us now to Ephesians 2.6, and it says this. It says, God's raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So here's this thing about being co-heirs, being heirs with Christ. It's a little scandalous a little bit, right? This is Jesus, like God, right? And we're saying, you're, you're co-heirs with him. You're going to rule with him, is what it's saying, seated with him in the heavenly realms. And that, I don't, that sounds like a bad idea. Um, <laughs> I don't know. But that's what we're getting. Like, we've got to think about this. Like, wow. And when you, when you think about it, like, think back, to, think back to the garden and what that was like. So God creates Adam, and he gives him a couple of uh, directions, a couple of commands. He said, go, you know, be fruitful and multiply, and then have dominion over the earth. Like, rule over creation. Cultivate it. Bring out the best in this creation as a steward, right? As a ruler of it. And so, in, in a way, God's saying, hey, you're going to go back to that, that original purpose, and you're going to be co-heirs, co-rulers with Jesus over creation. That's the inheritance. Like, what? That's crazy. So we are Mia Thermopolis. We are. Or Maximus, if you prefer that one. I don't know. Maybe. I like Mia. Our identity has changed. We are, we are instant royalty. That's crazy. Hanging out with the creator of the universe, ruling over and enjoying his creation for all eternity, we have hit the jackpot. I mean, I don't know, there's no other way to say it, right? It's amazing, right? And I've only scratched the surface of a lot of this stuff. We're going to do that. We'll dig into that later. But wow, it's amazing. God has brought us into his family. We have been adopted. Amazing. So how should that realization change how we live. You know, well, the Bible will say, out, out of deep gratitude for all of this that's been done for us, you know, we should love and serve him with all our mind, heart, soul, and strength. We should love our neighbor as ourselves, like Dave spoke about last week. We should, you know, go to the mountaintops and proclaim this good news to everyone we meet, right? We well, should leave this life of sin and never go back, Right? Because of all of this, all of this good. Like we should worship and adore him continuously in every aspect of our lives. We should even want to suffer and die for the sake of Jesus. This adoption, this news, this is that good that all of that should be easy. And here's the thing: it's not. Do you live like that? Do I live like that? No! Right? On the day-to-day, wake up, do, go to work, do the thing, do all the stuff, go to sleep. In the day-to-day, that is not the, where I'm operating. Right? So we got a problem. Like, what, what is going on? And this brings us to our second question. So what is our adoption? Uh, how did I word it? What does it mean to be adopted by God? And now, why do we struggle with this adoption? This is such good news. It should change everything. And yet, sometimes it doesn't. So what's the deal? Where's the struggle? We're going to turn to, in our passage, uh, verse 15. It says this. It says, The spirit you received does not make you 
slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. We're gonna, and we're going to hang on this for a little bit. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. So what are we afraid of? Right? This is such good news. God is our father. We're adopted. We're in the family. Why would we ever live in fear again? we got the creator of the universe on our side as our dad. And I'll tell you why, at least for me. Maybe you can identify with some of this. I live in fear again because I don't believe it. I mean, in my head, yes. I read it and I'm like, I, I think that's true. My head says, yes, that is objectively true. But in my heart, it's, it's hard to believe. I've got other things pulling on my heart. Deep down, it's hard to have that truth penetrate. I struggle at the heart. That's why I run after all kinds of other things. Why I want to be successful. Why I want people to like me. You know, why I want to be morally upstanding or at least more morally upstanding to the person next to me so that I can compare myself to them and feel good about myself, right? As Derek often says, the gravity of this world is strong. Because if you think about what the world is and how it operates, because of sin, because it's fractured, the whole world revolves around earning it. You have to be, you got to earn it. You have to be good enough, smart enough. People have to like you. You have to earn it. And that fear is, this, this fear in Romans 15 that it's talking about, it is the fear that I will be exposed. The fear that I will, that I will come up short. That I am not good enough and not smart enough and God may not actually like me. And it's this fear and what's crazy about our world is you will hear some say that well this is like a healthy fear. It will like propel you to like you know do better and work harder and you know do more. Um, But it is not a healthy fear. It is enslaving. The world's tool is fear and it enslaves us. So think back to our prodigal son story in Luke 15. Prodigal son, he goes out, he squanders all of his inheritance, which he got early, which was a no-no. He squanders it all in wild living. And he comes to his senses and realizes, I've got to go back to my father. That's, uh, I'm down in the dumps here. That's the only place with any kind of hope. And he goes and he's got this plan. He's got this solution in his head of how this is going to go. And his plan he's going to present to the father is basically bring me back as as a slave i'll be a slave to you again you know in the hopes that maybe i can maybe earn favor back from you although it'll take a while or maybe even i'll earn enough money as a slave to maybe pay you back but that's his plan and that's kind of the default earth plan just earn it just work harder do more figure it out on your own So God has adopted us into his family. We are his children. It's done. The earning is done. Read through Romans a bunch of times. It will tell you over and over and over again. It is done. It is finished like Jesus said on the cross. And yet, we struggle. I struggle because I, I struggle because I want to prove that I was worth it. You know? 
the fear in Romans 15 is this fear that, that God will save me and then somehow realize that he made a mistake. I continue to struggle with sin. I feel like sometimes I'm not getting any better. Like maybe I'm getting worse even. I don't know. Am I close to you, God? Am I doing enough? Or it, will you abandon me? Kind of like the world tends to do. We struggle with adoption because we, we drift back into thinking that we have to earn it, even though we don't. The gravity of this world is strong. I struggle because I, I don't believe it can be true. I kind of go back to fear again, like it says in verse 15. So we're not going to end there, because that would be terrible. I'd probably get fired, even though I work for free. Um, but that brings us to our last question. How do we overcome? So we've learned about being adopted by God. We've got this struggle, this fear with adoption. So what in the world are we supposed to do? How do we overcome? And, and I'm, I'm so excited about this point, because I'm over point number two. Ugh. And, and I think what we're about to go over is, I think, the most freeing thing about today. Hopefully, it's going to be a, a breath of, like, fresh air in your lungs. The thing that will break the chains of slavery, cast out fear, set us free, is, is the simple idea, I think, that God knew that it was going to be hard. Like he wasn't just thinking, well, if you were good enough, you'd figure it out. And what's, what's wrong with all of you people? No, he knew it was going to be hard. And not only that, he did something about it. And the thing that he did that we see in our passage is he sent his spirit. And what is amazing is that was the plan all along. It was not like plan B, like, okay, did the big Jesus thing, died on the cross, here we go. And it's like, well, this isn't working. Like, what do we do now? Oh, let's send the Spirit. Maybe we can clean this up a little bit. No, that was the plan from, from the get-go, that the Spirit would come in. Let's, let's read Romans 16, which is our next verse. It says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Holy Spirit has come to give us assurance of our adoption. To give us assurance of God's love. Now there are so many different ways that we can look at this gospel of Jesus and we look at it all kinds of ways here at Ocean City Church. But by far, this concept of adoption is by far the most relational. Right? Yeah, sheep, shepherd. Eh. But like father, son, adopted into the family, like there is a relationship here. So the son was sent, Jesus was sent mostly to, to justify us, to give us legal standing. It was a legal task. The spirit has come with a relational task. He's come to give us assurance that the relationship is good, that God does love us. We can be fully accepted and adopted by God and sometimes not feel it. And the spirit comes in, the role of the spirit is to assure us of that. It even says in the same chapter, which is why it's so good, uh, verse 11, it talks about the Spirit dwelling in us. 
what? Like the Spirit of God actually dwells in me somehow. I don't know how, but it's just there. And it's testifying. It's like talking to my deep inner heart and whispering, saying, it's true. I promise it's true. He really does love you. So many times, you know, I think we can easily show up to church, you know, and sing these songs. And, and if you're like me, you're, you're singing it and you're like, these words are good. And you're trying to kind of like convince yourself and try to remember that, yes, these are true. Yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim it. I don't really believe it right now, but I know it's true. So I'm going to claim it and sing it. And like, hopefully something will happen. So the thing that happens is the Spirit. He comes in, in deep inside of you and and assures you of that adoption, assures you that it's true, that God does love us, that he is our Father. Now, this is great, you might be thinking, but if you're a type A person like me, I want to know, okay, great, it sounds awesome. How does it work? What do I do? Like, what's step one? Give me step one. I'm ready to go, right? And... I do not have step one for you. I have looked, <laughs> I have tried to find it. And, but the Bible says like the spirit is kind of like unpredictable and mysterious, which is not helpful. Um, but I, I, there are some things if you're looking for something. First, you can read his word. There's life in here. Second, you can pray, spend time relationally with God. And then third, if you, if you want that assurance, then just ask for it. Ask for the Spirit to come. Ask for the experience of God. Ask to feel it. She's like, God, I know it, but I don't feel it right now. Please make me feel it. Please remind me that it's real. This is why when we do prayer ministry, we, we always come up and, and we, we pray for the Spirit to come. Because, you know, we've, we've, we've sung the songs, we've heard the truth, and now we need the Spirit because that's its role to get down deep and tell us that it's true. It actually is true so that we can feel it and experience this embrace from our Father. It's the role of the Spirit to make it real. We often quote during prayer ministry, Luke eleven thirteen, 13, it says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Just ask. If you want it, just ask. That's all it says. And then it happens. The Holy Spirit's there. He's already there. He's in you. But the ask is like something extra. I don't know. The, uh, an analogy that I heard once was, Imagine, you know, a father and son kind of walking hand in hand, you know, just kind of walk in and like, it's great. You know, the father loves the son, son loves the father. They both know it. It's great. This is wonderful. And then imagine the father kind of swoops down and picks up the son and just like brings him in for like a tight bear hug, right? There's no different like relationship there. It's still father and son. They still both know they love here, love each other. But, but when you scoop them up and squeeze them, like you feel it. It's different. I don't know. It's different. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And I'll end with this, and I'll end with this story. So, um, like I said, we, we've got three girls in the house, Barry girls, six, four, and two. Um, their favorite thing by far is what they call play on the bed with daddy. They're not creative, apparently. Um, it's a terrible name. 
But here's how it goes. You know, basically, you know, we all get on the bed. We got like three or four years ago, we got a king size bed. Totally changed playing on the bed with daddy. There's a lot more room. It's great. Um, but it's basically like this like wrestle tickle fight on the bed. It's wonderful. Um, but all three of them play it a little bit different. So the oldest, Eden, she's almost seven. Um, she, because she now weighs more and realized she can hurt me, she's the bruiser. So she has started to like jump and like knees in my back. Like that's her kind of role. She, she's also the one that tickles my feet. I hate getting my feet tickled. And uh, I usually don't kick my children, but if you tickle my feet, you, you better get off. <laughs> That's, so, so that's Eden. So Isla, she's the middle one. She loves the game of it. She loves the suspense. Like, oh, he's going to get me. It's like, oh, but I'm going to get him. And like, oh, no. And like, she'll like dodge and, and weave and do all of that stuff. That's how she plays it. And then there's Ari. She's the littlest one. She is our snuggle bug. Her favorite part about playing on the bed with daddy is she just like curls up in the bed. And I just like shield her from the other girls that are like trying to poke her or get her or something like that. Um, that's our snuggle bug. It's, oh gosh, she's great. Um, and very recently, she has started when we like put her down to bed, she like wants to snuggle. And so, you know, you like get in there like nice and tight, you know, squeezing a little bit like perfect family, no problems ever, right? Um, and then, but when you get to leave, th th she, you start to like kind of get up a little bit and she, her arms snap up around your neck and she like pulls you back in. Like, nope, you're not going anywhere here. Like more snuggles. And so, and she does that so much and it feels so good. Like, like the snuggling's great, sure. But I'll like just get up a bunch of times just for her to like grab my neck and like pull me in. I mean, it like, it, it feels so good. She's like, she's like, nope. Nope, we're going to get right back in here. This is where we're going to be. I'm going to pull you in. And what is wonderful about that picture is, you know, how do we overcome our fear, our struggle? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that is throwing its arms around your neck and saying, get in here, right? Just like Ari does, just like the prodigal son's father you know, hugged him and said, no, you're not going to be a slave. You're my son. Come here. The Holy Spirit is there to make it real. He pulls you in. He pulls you in so that you know in the deepest part of you that you are God's child, that you are his, that you belong to him and you belong with him. The Spirit pulls you in so that you hear you hear God's love and his voice. The Spirit pulls you in close so that kind of all you can see is God and the rest of the world grows strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace right in front of you. The Spirit pulls you in and, and I feel like, you know, whispers just like God said of Jesus, the Spirit pulls you in so that God can tell you, behold my child with whom I'm well pleased. You might, not, you might not feel like that every day that God's pleased with you, but that is what the Spirit is for. So ask for it. Ask for the Spirit. Remind us. Make us feel it, God. Let's stand as we respond and worship. God, thank you so much for the beauty and the power of your word. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We pray, God, that we would be assured of your love for us that when the doubt and the fears come, 
God, we pray that you would send an extra helping of the Spirit to pull us in close, that we might no longer be slaves to fear, God, but sons and daughters of the King. We pray all these things in Jesus' name that made it all even possible that we could even be talking about this. We pray it in his name. Amen.